God, are you near? And where are you, God? And do you hear my cries? Are you aware of my sorrows and my struggles? That is a question that uh, certainly has entered the mind of many faithful children of God whenever they have encountered uh, some tragedy. And if it hasn't, I, I promise you, uh, it, it will at some point. And if it does, then you are in good company because great men of God have, have asked similar questions. Um, Gideon, for example, and the people of God that were being slain as a result of their conviction and faith in Christ Jesus as souls were were slain or murdered and they were crying out from under the altar saying, how long, O holy and true and just one, will you not avenge our blood? So tragedy, difficulties, challenges in our life, problems, they weigh upon us. And maybe in the midst of all of that, we find ourselves like these three different individuals or three different accounts of three different stories in the book of Matthew crying out to God saying, O thou son of David, have mercy upon us. There is an example in Matthew chapter 9 of two blind men as Jesus was involved in his public ministry in the area of Galilee. They, they came to Jesus and they cried out and said, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. Or in Matthew chapter 15, verse 22, the story of a woman when Jesus had gone uh, to Tyre and Sidon in the Phoenician area and also found in Matthew 17, a story of, of uh, a man whose son had a, uh, had a, a sickness or an, an illness. And both parents in that situation, a mother and a father who found their children suffering from a malady, cried out to God saying, have mercy on us. Some of you have perhaps in the midst of some debilitating disease or a protracted illness, maybe from a hospital bed as, you, as your body was writhing in pain, cried out, Lord, have mercy on me. And if you have ever cried that, I hope that after tonight that you will have a better understanding of what mercy is all about. We, as Jude said, need to look for and anticipate the mercy of God. What's mercy all about? I'm convinced that if we knew more about mercy, we would be more dedicated in our service to God. We would be more excited about living for Jesus. In fact, Paul used the mercy of God as an appeal to get Christians to offer up their bodies as living sacrifices. Do you remember in Romans chapter 12 when Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, that you shouldn't be conformed to this world, but you needed to be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? How did God try to motivate them? What did Paul say to them to try to take their life and transform it and give it completely and totally to God? He did so based on the mercies of God. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you do this. So if we could understand more about God's mercy, I'm convinced we would be more dedicated to live for Jesus, to offer up ourselves every day 
as a sacrifice to him. So what is the mercy of God all about? What can we learn tonight about God's mercy? First of all, let's define the word mercy. And then as we progress through our lesson tonight, let's talk about the fact that God is rich in mercy. And then we will see that God is the father of mercies. So first of all, what do we mean by mercy? I don't know about you, but uh, when, when I was a kid, I, I remember hearing various definitions of mercy and grace. And one of the illustrations that was utilized by a preacher that I heard had went like this. He said that, pretend that uh, maybe a child had was playing baseball out in his backyard. And one day, one of the balls that he hit got away from him and, and went over into his neighbor's backyard and hit one of the windows in their house. It broke it, busted it, and the ball went inside. And then he had to go over to that house and, and, and apologize and explain what happened. And the story goes that imagine that as he went over there expecting to be punished, that the homeowners said to him, young boy, we, we appreciate the fact that you've acknowledged you're wrong. And we want you to know that there's not going to be any, any penalty. You, you're not going to have to pay for that broken glass. And you can just imagine the relief on that little boy who no longer is going to be held responsible or be in debt because of that broken glass. But then if that, and that would be an example of mercy, the illustration from the preacher goes, but then if that homeowner said, young man, I'd like to take you out and, and to buy you some ice cream because of your good attitude and your desire to want to do what's right, that would be grace, this particular preacher said. So I think that while though that's helpful, and I wouldn't argue with, uh, in many ways, the application of it, there's something much more to mercy than just the withholding of punishment or just the forgiveness of some sort of debt. Certainly grace is a gift, and certainly mercy is the withholding of punishment. Those are often linked together in Scripture. We'll see that from time to time, just as when Paul into discussing his desire for Timothy to serve and to give his life to ministry. He began his letters by saying, grace and peace and mercy be unto you, Timothy. So they're, they're often coupled together, and there's a good reason for that. But mercy is more than just the withholding of punishment. Mercy also has to do with the covering over of sin. Do you remember when God instructed the Israelites to craft and build this ark that uh, was placed in the tabernacle and that that ark became known as the Ark of the Covenant. Do you remember what was inside of that ark? Well, it was the Ten Commandments and Moses's rod that budded and, and, and the bowl of manna. Well, all of those were symbols and figures of various components about God and his goodness and and what he did to provide for God's people and his authority. But there was the law of God to remind us that God is just, that God has a law, and that that law has consequences if we do not obey it. There is, in fact, a curse that goes along with the law. If we can't and don't keep it perfectly, then we are guilty under the law. And if God is going to be just, he has to penalize people who have broken the law. I think we all understand that even in our own legal system, that when people break the law, 
a judge would not be just if he did not exact punishment upon the criminal, upon the lawbreaker. So when we think about God's law and our being citizens living under that law and we break it, we wonder, well, is there a punishment? Truly, if God's going to be just, he has to abide by the principles of the law. But how is God going to be both just and the justifier of people that he wants to save, his creation? He provides a means of fellowship being uh, or us re, being reunited with God, of atoning for our sins. So what does he do? He, he had a mercy seat placed on top of the Ark of the Covenant that covered over that law. In fact, that lid had reference to a covering and the cherubim where God's presence could be found. Blood by the high priest was to be sprinkled uh, above that cherubim or on those cherubim that covered over the law. A sacrifice was made to atone for the sins of the people of Israel. So that seat was called the mercy seat. And it was a reminder of the fact that God was going to cover over sin, that he was going to atone for, that he was going to make a way possible for us to be at one with him, a holy God. So we get some idea of mercy by thinking about the tabernacle and the images found in the tabernacle. But then there's something else that I, I want you to understand tonight as we continue to try to define mercy. And it's found in Matthew chapter 6 and also in Acts chapter 9. Now, if you were to look up Matthew 6, do you remember the, the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preaches with regard to what it means to, to truly live in the kingdom of God, this righteousness that God calls us to possess if we're going to, to, to be happy, if we're going to have this blessed life, if we're going to be truly those who are citizens of the kingdom. He says this in Matthew 6 in regard to what righteousness is all about. He says, when you, when you do your alms, don't do them to be seen before men. Uh, when you pray, uh, pray, don't, don't pray as, as the Pharisees and others who love to be seen uh, because of their long prayers that they make. Uh, when, when you do these things, don't do them to be seen of, of men, but do them because they're right in the sight of God. Now, in the King James translation in Matthew 6, verse 1, they use an interesting word. They say, when you do your alms deeds before men, or, or, or do them, don't do them to be seen of men. The word alms deeds there has reference to this Greek word that is used in a later instances in scripture, translated as mercy, mercy. In other words, God was equating their acts of righteousness, their acts and their deeds that are good, that were meant to help the poor as an act of mercy. That same root word for mercy is found in Acts chapter 9, verses 36 through 39. There, in reference to the story of Tabitha, also called Dorcas. She lived in a place called Joppa, and she died. She passed away, and Peter was called for to come and to uh, mourn over her death. And remember, he raised her from the dead. But when Peter arrived, what did they 
tell Peter about Dorcas. They told her, told him about all of her good deeds, about how that she made coats for the poor. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 36 and following, that text tells us that she was known for her alms deeds, or literally her acts of mercy. You see, mercy has more to do than just withholding punishment. It has a lot to do with helping those who are in need, helping the destitute, helping those who are poor, reaching out and ministering to those who are weak. And when we do, we're showing mercy. That's why those people who were afflicted by those maladies, the blind men and the parents who wanted Jesus to heal their children, they were being afflicted and they wanted relief. They wanted help. They wanted to be rid of those maladies and to have their children restored back to their normal good health. They were wanting God's loving kindness. They were wanting his mercy. In the Old Testament, you'll actually see uh, this concept or this idea uh, being communicated by several different Hebrew words, and sometimes they get translated as righteousness. Sometimes they get translated as uh, deeds or loving kindness. So the idea of good, the idea of helping those who are in a destitute situation goes along with this concept of mercy. Secondly tonight, I want us to remember that not only does mercy carry with it the idea of helping those who are in need, but also that God tells us that he is rich in mercy. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus to remind them of the greatness of the church, to speak to them about the blessings that are found in Christ Jesus, and to help them to see how they were to live as children of light, to walk as children of light, and to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, and to help them in their marriages. He reminded them in fulfilling those tasks that they possessed something very, very exciting. They were children of God's good mercy. In fact, in chapter 4, when when Paul spoke about them being people that walk worthy of the vocation wherewith they were called, and then follows with several things and commandments that they were given to, to, to do in regard to their home, in regard to the church, in regard to fighting the Christian battle and putting on the whole armor of God. He said, walk worthy of the manner wherewith you are called. Now, the word worthy there uh, is a word that has reference to worth or value. Paul was saying, I want you to understand the worth and the value of what you have. And once you do, that will motivate you to be a better husband. That will motivate you to be a better wife. That will motivate you to be a a more effective worker in the kingdom of God. Well, what is the worth and the value of the Christian system? He spent the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians discussing that. He spoke about these abundant blessings and about, particularly in chapter 2, the mercy 
of God. He said, when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, God made you alive. And he says, it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. But early in chapter two, in speaking about the goodness and the love of God, listen to what Paul said in Ephesians 2. You who were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked following the course of the world, following the prince of the world, or the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But what? God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, made us alive together with Christ. Wow. Paul says, yes, there were a lot of terrible things that you were guilty of. You were uh, overpowered by this these works of darkness. The prince of the power of the air was your master, in essence, is what Paul was saying. And you were by nature children of wrath. But God was rich in mercy. I want us all to understand something tonight, among many things, that God wants to save us, that God loves us, that God cares about us, and that it does not matter what we have done. If we come in faith, if we truly turn from those sins, God will forgive us. He is a merciful God. In fact, Paul said this in Titus 3 verse 5, that according to his mercy, according to his mercy, he saved us. And through the washing of regeneration. So because of what happened at the cross, because of the the mercy and the love of God and our response to baptism by being buried with Christ in baptism, we then can have our sins forgiven. James 5 verse 11 says that God is full or he's very compassionate and merciful. In 1 Peter 1 verse 3, Peter said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So those three passages right there, Ephesians 2.8, James 5.11, 1 Peter 1.3, and there are many others, but those three remind us of the abundant, rich, full mercy that is to be found in God. And the reason I mention that tonight is this. There are some people who feel as though God could never save them because of all the terrible things that they've done in their life. I've even met people who maybe haven't committed terrible things, but they've had terrible things done to them. And as a result of that, they feel worthless. They feel like they're not of any value. They, as one woman told me one time, she feels as though she's damaged goods and that she is not redeemable. Now, maybe that's the way you feel. 
And I know some Christians who have spent much of their life feeling as though that they were either not saved or that somehow God couldn't save them, carrying with them the great weight and burden of sin and the guilt that went along with that. I want you to understand we don't have to live that way. We don't have to be a slave to the past. We don't have to allow the weight of sin to continue to to keep us from enjoying a life of peace and happiness. God is abundant in loving kindness and mercy and grace. Some of you might know about the story that I'm going to tell you about the meanest man in Texas. Now, some of you probably know that or think about having met that person once or twice before, but I want to tell you about a book called The Meanest Man in Texas, the story of a man by the name of Clyde Thompson. It's the true story of a man whom my uncle actually knew, knew his family, grew up in the central to west Texas area. And when he was but 17 years old, was on a hunting trip, he and another gentleman, and ended up getting into an argument with some others that had come through their hunting territory, and they killed those two other gentlemen. Well, these two men, including uh, these two individuals, one of which was Clyde Thompson, was convicted and imprisoned. And, um, well, he somehow was able to have the hope of uh, getting out one day, but then he ended up killing two other men in prison. Now, a part of the story goes that while Clyde was in prison, he he actually heard on the radio one night a, a man preaching the gospel, and and um, he responded and, and obeyed the gospel, was baptized into Christ. But it wasn't long that Clyde ended up falling away in prison, and he, he made a knife uh, in prison and hid it and kept it with him for a while, but ended up uh, murdering two other people in prison. And so uh, he was finally put into a solitary confined area that was an old morgue that they had made into this uh, just uh, area, a cell for, for hardened criminals. And uh, he, he found himself in there with only, but the, the clothing that he had was just his, his undergarments. And they would give him a little bit of food. He had one small window that he could, could a little bit, a little light come out and come into his cell. And one day, Clyde asked if he could have a Bible. And you thought, oh, this is great. He's turned his life around, but it, it wasn't that at all. Clyde wanted a Bible so that he could prove God was wrong and the Bible was in error. He was so filled with bitterness and hatred toward God, had committed these terrible crimes of, of murdering others, done terrible, heinous things. But the more he read and studied the Bible, the more he realized he couldn't prove the Bible wrong. But instead, what was happening in that process was the powerful message of the gospel working on his heart and the goodness and the love of God. He read about men like Joseph who had all these terrible things happen to him, but that even through that process, as we'll note near the end of this lesson, 
God still had mercy on him. Clyde changed his attitude, his mind, and his direction. And he gave his life to God, and he became a preacher in prison and converted thousands to the gospel or to the to Jesus Christ. He eventually got out of prison, was married, and preached in various places in Texas and, and beyond. It's a reminder that none of us have gone so far that God can't save us. Truly, even those who are at the cross, who were guilty of putting Jesus there, responded in faith, as recorded in Acts chapter 2, when Peter said, you were guilty of crucifying the Son of God. And yet 3,000 souls responded in faith that day and became Christians. They were forgiven of all of their sins. You've never gone so far that God can't save you. There are example after examples of people that we could talk about tonight. I just want you to remember what mercy is about and that God is rich in it. But then lastly tonight, I want you to think about this. I want you to remember that God is the father of mercies. Sometimes, as I mentioned at the beginning of this lesson tonight, we begin feeling and thinking as though God isn't there in our time of crises. That maybe God isn't showing us mercy when our loved ones are taken from us by death or when our children are suffering because of some sort of disease. Or maybe when there are even church problems and we find ourselves being overwhelmed with anxiety because of it and we become depressed and we wonder, God, do you love us? Are you there? God, where is your mercy? And in the midst of our pain, we, we sometimes cry out, God, have mercy on us. And then we may ask, God, where, where is it? I don't see it. I want us to know that from 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3, Paul, in helping the church who was struggling with problems, divisions, difficulties, that they could be motivated by the mercy of God and to know that he was the father of mercies. That is, mercy originates with God, but it also can be found in his offspring, in the people that seek to serve God. In Acts 17, 26 through 29, when Paul was in Athens on Mars Hill, helping the intelligentsia of that day to understand more of who this God is that he preached uh, about there in Athens, that this God, he said, is not far from any one of us. For it is in him that we live and move and have our very being. And that if we would just go looking for him, that happily we might be able to find him. He is not far from any one of us. How is that the case? Do you know that when we become a Christian and we begin living the Christian life, that we are in many ways an extension of God's grace and mercy to others? 
In fact, Ephesians 2 verses 8 through 10 speak about our being God's workmanship, that we are saved by the grace of God through faith, that not of ourselves it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast, not because of what we do that grace originates from us. Grace originates with God. But then he takes our lives, our lives steeped in sin and marred by problems of the past, and he molds us into being an image bearer of his grace. We are his workmanship. In other words, like an artist takes a piece of clay and molds it and fashions it into a beautiful work of art. So God takes our hearts and molds them and fashions them into beautiful works of arts that notice now are reflections of him. We, in our changed lives, in our transformed lives, become images of God. We reflect his glory and his mercy and his grace when we do good works when we minister to the poor, when we help those who are in need. Has anyone ever helped you, done good to you? And when they did, was that not an act of the mercy of God when as Christians we were taught to do these things and to help those who are in need. When I think about this, the, the great parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 10 of the Good Samaritan, we really come to understand more of what mercy is, what it looks like, and how that God's mercy is shown through other people to those who are in need. Remember that story? A man that was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves. And the Bible says that a priest and the Levi came by, and they passed by on the other side. Let's take a look at it, because I want you to see what mercy is about and how God extends mercy to us today. In Luke chapter 10, in this marvelous story of a man who was wanting to know and maybe even excuse himself about you know, who was his neighbor and, and how he was to live under the law. Jesus tells this parable to this lawyer. And in this parable, this man that falls among thieves, two pass by. But we see in verse 33 that a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. He went to him. He bound up his wounds pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his animal and he brought him to an inn and he, he took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and what more you spend, I, I will repay you when I come back. And Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Well, the, the lawyer says, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You go and show mercy to other people. That's a beautiful and a powerful story 
that teaches us what mercy is about, but also about how God extends mercy to others. Sometimes in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our own struggles, we want God to maybe just sort of pop out of the sky and and just wrap us up in his arms and say, I'm here and, and I want you to know how much I love you and I care about you. God doesn't operate that way today. But God still operates. God still works. He works through his children. We are his offspring. We are his workmanship. He is our father. He's the father of mercies. And so when God's people come to us in our time of distress, in our time of being on the road, having fallen among thieves, and someone prays with us, someone ministers to us, someone sends a card in the mail to us, someone brings food to us, Someone holds our hand in our time of sorrow and grief. My friends, that is God's mercy. God's showing mercy to you. Sometimes we don't see it. People are wondering where it is. I know that Carla and I have have been the recipients so many times over the years of God's mercy. We've come to realize that not only is God not only is God merciful, He is rich in mercy. When I was in the hospital and we received phone calls and my family was taken care of and prayers were prayed and things were done to help us at our house, that was God's mercy. Whenever someone has just picked up the phone and and called you and said, hey, I, I was thinking about you. That's God's mercy. We need to begin to open our eyes and look around and see that when there is food on our table, when there are clothes on our back, that God is being merciful unto us. God sends his blessings on us in so many, many different ways. But sometimes because the mercies are so abundant, the grace is so abundant, we almost don't begin to see it. The sun rising, the beautiful sunsets, the joy of this creation, family, friends, the church, our jobs, a mom or a dad. Oh, it's everywhere. God has looked down from heaven, as it were, and seen us in our difficulties and inspired a whole wonderful family of his to be busy in showing to others what they themselves have received. As I think about that wonderful parable of the Good Samaritan, 
And what motivates me to want to show the mercy of God? It's because I and you, we were that man that fell among the thieves. We were going about our business in this world. And we fell into some sort of tragic situation, maybe sin. We found ourselves broken, left for dead, spiritual death, helpless, unable to help ourselves, wounded by maybe sin or the problems of this life or because of what others have done. And we wonder, does anybody care? Are we loved? And maybe even those who were supposed to help, they passed by on the other side. God didn't. God got down from heaven, as it were. He dismounted. He saw us in our hurt, in our harm. He saw us with our wounds, and he came to us to bind up those wounds, to sacrifice himself, to offer up himself to pay the debt. And just as that good Samaritan in the story helped that man that had fallen among thieves and carried him, so I think about the Lord carrying us in our burdens on the cross. God came here to be the good Samaritan to all of us, to show us his mercy and his love. When I think about that, being the recipient of that mercy, I, I want to show it to others. And sometimes I do, and you do a lot, I know, helping others. But what all of us need to remember in the time of our hardship is to open our eyes and to see God's mercy, how prevalent it is. That's what Joseph did. He, I think, struggled a bit, don't you, when he was sold into slavery by his own brothers, taken away to a foreign land, forced to be a, another man's slave, his servant, and then falsely accused. And then later on, he's thrown into prison after being falsely accused. But I love Genesis 39, verse 21, that reminds us that through all of that, all of those bad things that were happening, God was still at work, wasn't he? And the text says that even while he was there in prison, that God showed mercy to him. And that mercy ended up truly manifesting itself in a greater way when Joseph's family came to Egypt and kept that family seat alive through which Jesus ultimately was born and came to this world to save you and me. My point is that even through our tragedies, even though through the problems, through our hurt and our harm, if we'll just open our eyes, we can see God's mercy. And 
if we will allow it, great things can come from it. We can help to show other people his love and his goodness and his mercy. As I close tonight, I want to share with you a passage from Deuteronomy. It's a passage that was uttered at a time when God's people were about to enter the promised land. The book of Deuteronomy in many ways is a a book that applies the law that they were given at Mount Sinai to the physical settings that they were to inhabit there in the land of Israel. Here's what you're to do and not to do. Here is a reminder of the blessings and the cursings that are to come if you keep my law. And you know what is sprinkled throughout the great book of Deuteronomy? is not just a law, but a motivator about the goodness and the mercy of God. Listen to what is said in Deuteronomy 4, verses 29 through 31. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you seek him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Now, when you are in distress and all these things come upon you in the latter days, in other words, some of the problems and the diseases and the things that come as a result of the consequences of sin, if those things come upon you, when you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice, for the Lord your God is a merciful God, he will not forsake you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant of your fathers, which he swore to them. God won't forget you. Turn to him. Cry out to him. He is a God full of loving kindness and compassion. Cry out to the Lord like those two blind men did when they saw Jesus, who were suffering from the malady of blindness, or the mother and the father whose children were suffering, and they cried out to the Lord for mercy. God extended it to them. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 says this, We do not have a high priest who cannot be touched, he says, with the feeling of our infirmities. Christ, who was tempted in in all points, he, he did it without sin. But Jesus is is moved with the feeling of our infirmities. He was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Now listen to what the Hebrew writer says. Because of that, because Christ understands, we can come boldly, that is with confidence, under the throne of grace so that we might find mercy and help in time of need. God knows about mercy. He wants to extend mercy. He loves his children. And there is mercy and help at the throne of God if we will but come to him in our time of need. I hope you'll do that anytime you're struggling. Let's do that right now. Let's pray together to find help in our time of need. Will you pray with me? Our Father and our God, our glorious one, the great I am, the Father of mercies. Lord, 
we pray that you will be attentive to our ear, that you will hear our cry for help and for mercy as we struggle with life's sorrows and problems, as we encounter hardship, frustration, and relationships, as we experience anxiety, as we have physical maladies, as we, Father, are hindered by the problems of the world, and we might become discouraged. And, Father, as we lack faith from time to time, we pray, Lord, that you will show your loving kindness and your tenderness toward us, that you'll help us to be more like you, that you will help us to see how much you love us and all that you have done throughout history and all that you did at Calvary. God, we love you. And I pray a special prayer tonight for all of those who are listening, that you will help them and that you will show mercy and to each one of your children, Lord. In the name of Jesus, our risen Savior, we pray. Amen.